worship service. We only have like 25 people at our church, so I could be like, Arr! All right, guys, if we can, uh, if I could ask you to have your, uh, take your seats so we can get started with um, the, the sermon. All right. Well, good morning again. It's, uh, it's certainly good to be back with you guys. Glad to be invited back. Let's me know that I'm doing something right. And um, otherwise, I wouldn't have been invited. I know Gary well enough that he's not just going to let anybody preach on the pulpit here. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a man that loves the word, loves scriptures, loves truth. And so um, I'm, I greatly appreciate um, the, the invitation to come back. Um, you, get, you know, while Gary, I know you guys are probably, uh, some of you are already doing this. It's not all of you are praying for, for Gary, but continue to do so. Uh, the the pastorate is is such a it's a joy, but at the same time it uh, it can get uh, we can get weary as pastors, and so be praying intentionally as you think about Gary that the, that the Lord would refresh him, so when he comes back he can just continue his service to the Lord by serving you. So um, when the Lord puts him on your mind, just be intentional in praying for him. That's one of the ways that I, I practice uh, prayer uh, pray without ceasing. You know, when the Lord just, uh, when you start thinking about people randomly, just pray. Um, and so when, when the Lord puts uh, Pastor Gary on your heart, just pray for him. Pray for his heart. Pray for his spiritual health, his emotional health, so that he can come back refreshed to serve you guys. Um, uh, and thinking about um, uh, the 90 days of Jesus that you guys are, are on, the journey that you guys are on. You know, I'm, I'm going through the book of Leviticus right now, my Old Testament reading. And uh, it's just, it's... Uh, it's grueling, right? It's just blood everywhere. And uh, sacrifice after sacrifice. And uh, they needed that sacrifice to approach the Lord, to have fellowship with the Lord, to have communion with the Lord. But think about this. Can you, can you think, like, as, you're, as I'm reading that, I, was just, I began to be overwhelmed with the, with, with the joy of Christ that I don't have to bring a sacrifice to commune with the Father in heaven. Because Christ already made that purchase necessary for us to come to the Father. And I think so often we take that for granted uh, in, in, in our culture today that we just uh, we, we, we get so tired or bored sometimes with the scriptures. But, you know, Christ paid with his blood for us not to just read about the Bible and read about him, but to know the Father intimately. So in your 90 days with Jesus, I just encourage you to keep pressing on even though sometimes you might get weary in, 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 in the process. If I could just give you a few encouragements uh, in your time with Jesus, it would be this. Uh, the first thing is to, to pray. I know that's so, it's, it's just uh, obvious, right, to pray. But I think sometimes I find myself, when I'm praying, that I have to reel myself back in because it feels like I'm just saying words and speaking words into the air. And I'm not really in tune with the Father when I'm praying. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. Sometimes that's, that's all I pray in my morning devotions. It's not a long paragraph or a long drawn out prayer. It's just, Lord, open my eyes. I want to see wonderful things in your law. Show me Christ. And then just get right into it. Uh, and the second thing is to, to persevere in, in, uh, in your Bible reading, in your time with Jesus. Proverbs chapter 2 verses 3 through 4 says, If you call out for insight, and raise your voice for understanding. 
If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It takes work. You've got to persevere. The, the Solomon here says that if you seek for it like silver, silver doesn't just uh, end up on your lap unless you get an inheritance, right? If you've got some rich parents or something. But uh, when, when you're uh, looking for silver, when you're mining for silver, it takes work. You get your hands dirty. And, and Solomon here is saying, like, if you seek for it, you've got to seek for wisdom like silver. And that means it takes work. It doesn't just happen. Uh, you've got to put the work in. And then the last thing is listen intently when you're, when you're reading the, the scriptures, when you're working through the gospels. I, I think about Mary when she, was, when she just sat there learning from Jesus at his feet. We should see ourselves sitting at the feet of our shepherd, Jesus Christ, and not merely in front of a book learning more biblical knowledge, see yourself, intentionally seeing yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ that, and, and, and believe that he's going to speak to you and he's going to transform you and that you're going to have intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just encourage you with those three encouragements in, in your reading uh, of uh, the, the Gospels. Oh, um, that wasn't a part of my sermon. Gary said I had a uh, uh, limited time here, so I'm starting this now. It was just uh, extra for you. I'm willing to bet that, um, that everyone here loves stories. Who doesn't love stories? Stories that have been told to us since we were little kids, from bedtime stories that our parents told us, books we would read in elementary school, high school. Um, and then there are movies, right, that we've come to, to, to we've grown to love. Uh, honestly, though, I prefer movies over books when it comes to stories. I can get lost so easily in reading theological books, biblical literature, but when it comes to stories, adventure books, and so forth, I find myself dozing off. I just don't have the patience for it. I prefer movies over books so much that in high school, and uh, when I got my book report back, there was a comment. It's a book report on The Hobbit. I, I read the, the comment on the back from my teacher, and, it, and, and he said this, uh, next time, read the book. Don't just watch the movie. <laughs> I confess, I got caught. But either way, we all love stories in the various shapes, forms, and sizes that they come in. How many of us have fantasized about being a Jedi Knight fighting against the Sith? And uh, how many of you have dreamed of being on the crew of the Black Pearl with Captain Jack Sparrow on one of their adventures? And uh, I, I, I'm an 80s baby. I was born in 1985, and so growing up in the 90s, we, we, I watched a lot of those 80s movies. And one of my favorite one was Willow. You got anybody here remember Willow? Um, I, I fantasized about being Med Mardikin, played by Val Kelmer, right? Fighting against the evil witch. I didn't want to be Willow. Um, it's not fun being a wizard. Um, I think we often uh, get or forget that the Bible is a story. It's not just a, a systematic theology that we, we, we approach and, and we just get information about who God is. It's God telling his story of redemption. It begins in the garden where God establishes his kingdom. God's kingdom can be summarized like this. It's God's people living in God's place, living under his loving rule and reign. God's purpose was to spread his glory through his image bearers, whom he created to rule under the authority he delegated to them. That kingdom was interrupted through the serpent's deception, and where there was once order and perfect peace, only chaos and disorder remained. This explains why the world is the way that it is today. 
and God's image bearers, you and me. We still reflect God's image, but in a marred and imperfect way. However, God is committed to his creation, and so he has a rescue plan for all of creation. God sets the stages in motion to reclaim his kingdom. It began with his promise to Adam, then to Noah, to Abraham, to David, and then finally fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of you might be a little bored because I'm just rehearsing things that you already know. However, it's one thing to know something intellectually and a whole other thing to be convinced of it in your mind and in your heart. Our convictions drive our actions. I'm becoming more and more convinced these days that the reason why so many churches are plagued with apathy for kingdom service and neglect living out their calling as disciples who make disciples is that they've not fully embraced or have been fully convinced of the amazing privilege that they have been given by God to be a part of his kingdom and what he's doing in uh, working out redemption. One of the problems that we have is that we have too narrow a view of salvation and focus on our little world divorced from God's wider or bigger picture. When we live our lives with such a narrow view of salvation and think it's just about us and our personal growth, our sanctification, our our personal development, we can get easily discouraged, delusional, frustrated, tired, depressed. And we say things like, is this all that my life is going to amount to? Is this all that there is for me? However, if you were truly convinced of what God is doing in the world and all of history, it's impossible, I think, To not be blown away. If we were truly convinced of God's story of redemption and how he's graciously included us, included you to be a part of that story, our outlook and our perspective on life would change dramatically. Once we've embraced our place in God's story of redemption, it'll change the way that you view motherhood, your marriage, your parenting your work, your leisure. It'll change your entire world view if you were truly convinced of what God has done and is doing. You'll see that nothing you do is wasted. Nothing that you do is insignificant because you'll begin to see that your story is really only part of God's bigger story of redemption. Now, the theme of the kingdom of God is prominent in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, it's what drives Jesus' ministry from beginning to the end. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says this in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Jesus, the long-awaited for Messiah... The anointed one whom God promised in the Old Testament has finally arrived. You know, we tend to focus the gospel message on the forgiveness of sins. But salvation is so much more than just a ticket out of hell. It's more than just a get out of jail card. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about the kingdom of God breaking through this world. Jesus' arrival is the beginning of the end of the broken kingdom of this world, temporarily and currently being ruled by Satan. Jesus would deliver the death blow to this kingdom through his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. However, he knew that he would be returning to the Father in heaven, 
and that his disciples, including you and me, and, uh, well, immediately in the context, though, his disciples, his band of misfits, his dirty dozen minus the one who betrayed him, would continue the work that he started, which will eventually lead to the Great Commission. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. It's a universal mission. Jesus prepared his disciples with everything that they needed to carry out their mission, to continue what he started. However, Mark leaves out a few things that the gospel of Matthew includes. Uh, Matthew says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the nations and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But how trustworthy or reliable were those words from Jesus? The obvious question is through his death and defeat of death, right? His resurrection. However, I wonder how many of you uh, often miss verse 16 of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where it says in verse 11, regarding the apostles, it says that some doubted. Some doubted. Isn't that bizarre that some of them would doubt even after they saw Jesus, after he defeated death, after he resurrected, they still doubted? That's, that's pretty ridiculous. But if we're all honest, how many of us still doubt God time and time again? After he's come through for us time and time again, we still get worried. We still get frustrated. We still get depressed. Hence, we need constant reminders of who Jesus is and what he has done. And for the apostles, uh, and for us, we we have the gospel of Mark to remind us of the, the power that Jesus has over the demonic realm. When we encounter trials in our life and opposition, in our attempts to fulfill the Great Commission... We need to be reminded of who it is that's with us. It's quick for us to say amen and amen when somebody preaches from the pulpit that God is sovereign, that Jesus is in absolute control over everything in the heavens and in the earth, and say, yes, that's true. But do you find yourself getting worried and frustrated? Well, do you actually believe that he's sovereign? If we actually believe, truly we're convinced that he was sovereign, then why would we be fearful? Why would, we do, why would we be anxious about the, the things that we experience? So with that said, let's just go to the text and go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to give us a life-transforming experience or encounter with his word. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. 
And the Lord numbering about, uh, and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they, begged, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is powerful. It is not just uh, knowledge, Lord. It is your revelation of who you are. It's, it's, uh, it's you speaking to the world. It's you inviting us to know you, Lord, intimately, not just intellectually. And so, Father, I pray that right now your spirit would guard my lips, that I would preach faithfully to what your scripture says, and that it would be empowered by your spirit to, to reach the hearts of your people. Father, I pray most earnestly that you would give me mercy to do this so that you would be glorified. Give your people ears to hear and eyes to see, that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, I thrust myself upon your mercy. I can't do this. Only you can. And so, God, be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, let, let's just get familiar with the context of our passage. In chapter 4, verses 26 through 34, Jesus gave parables explaining the kingdom, what the kingdom of God is like. And then in chapter uh, 4, verse 35 through, uh, through chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus displays and demonstrates what the kingdom of God is like. So don't miss that. And prior to what Jesus is doing right now, he goes from explanation to demonstration. He goes from information to demonstration. Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God is sovereign over the natural realm. He calms the waves of the sea and the storms, right? And in our passage today, he demonstrates how the kingdom of God is sovereign over the spiritual realm. And then the reminder of chapter 5, we see that the power of God or the power of the kingdom of God over uh, the the physical health, he heals, right? And the the, the power of the kingdom of God is displayed through Jesus' words. The power of his words are evidenced by the fact that they accomplish what he says they will do, what he commands them to do. Jesus has the power to calm the outer world of our circumstances just as he did with the storms. And in our passage this morning, we see that he has the power to calm our inner spiritual storms, our inner spiritual turmoils. In his display of power, we see three different responses to the same encounter with Jesus. In this scene, you have the demonic response. You have the response of the herdsmen and the countrymen. And then you've got the response of the man that was delivered Uh, from the demon possession. And they all respond in different ways. But what's interesting is that even after 2,000 years since Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, these are still three of the most common ways that people respond to Jesus. And so the question you need to answer this morning is, how will you respond to Jesus? 
How will you respond to Jesus? I've, uh, I've formulated my points this morning by way of uh, questions. In, in doing so, I hope that you would think meditatively on this sermon and, and, and that you would be attentive to God's word. The first question is, are you running from Jesus? Are you running from Jesus? The second one is, are you pushing Jesus away? And the last one, are you running to Jesus? The first question, are you running from Jesus? In verses 1 through 13, we, uh, we have the, the, the account of this demon-possessed man. There is a man with demonic op- uh, opposition, and we're told that this, this took place in the land of the Gerizines. It's, uh, it's modern-day Turkey, and it's Gentile t- uh, territory. In verse 12, uh, we, we, we get, gather that from verse 12. It says that there's a herd of pigs. Israel did not have herds of pigs. It was They considered pigs unclean animals. And so uh, we could tell right now that this is not Israel territory, that they are in Gentile territory. And then you've got the Decapolis in, in verse 20. The Decapolis was a league of ten Greek cities. And then uh, we have this encounter, right? Uh, Mark is talking about how Jesus was met by a man with an unclean spirit. This man, we're told, he lived in the tombs. It was a place where the dead were buried. It was a grave site. He was a violent man. Neither human hands nor human devices could bind him, could contain him. Verse 4 says that he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day he cut himself and he would cry. This man had another prison that he was bound to. It was spiritual bondage. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities. This man needed deliverance, but it's not to be found through worldly means or human effort. When you read about the condition of this man, what comes to mind? As I was reading this passage, these words came to mind. Hopeless, abandoned, alone, shunned, pain, misery, tired, broken, weary, Bondage, suicidal, wounded, agony, forsaken, deserted, and loathed. You may not experience the same exact thing that this man is experiencing through demonic uh, possession, but how many of you can relate to how this man feels? Do you ever feel like people have given up on you and your struggle? Some of you may be one who have given up on your own struggle. Or... Are you someone who may have given up on people in your life who are currently struggling? Do some of you feel that there's no end in sight to your struggles or trials? And so we're told that this demon, as soon as Jesus stepped off the boat, that he fell down before Jesus. And although this is a sign of submission, it's not a sign of of willing worship. The demon pays homage to Christ, but does so loathingly. And out of resentment, we, we begin to see in this passage the superiority of Jesus in his relation to the demonic spiritual realm. Whether you like him or not, there isn't question on who has absolute authority. The demons know Jesus' name. They also refer to him as the son of the Most High God. That's not a messianic term. It's a term that describes his divinity. And although the demon is bowed down, To call someone by their name in this culture was believed to give somebody power over them. So when the demon invokes God's name uh, for Jesus not to torment him, 
what he's saying when he says, I adjure you by the name of God. It might mean that the, the demon's attempting to reverse the exorcism that Jesus is performing. And the same formula is used in Acts chapter 19, verse 13, with the sons of Skewos, if you remember that passage. So verse 8 gives us insight as to also why the, the, the demon was res, resisting Christ. Jesus was commanding the demon to come out of the man. And what we have before us really is, is two opposing forces. This is a battle between good and evil. And the outcome of what happens here shows us who has ultimate authority. The demon, whose name is Legion, asked to be transferred from the, herd of, from the man to the herd of pigs. They're very much aware that they have no chance against Jesus. And they all, and all they can do is run from his presence. Now, what can we learn from all of this, from this encounter that, the, that Jesus has with the, the legion of demons? Jesus is displaying and demonstrating the power of the kingdom of God. If Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm, over the kingdom of Satan, how much more does Jesus have the power and authority to overcome the, the trials and the struggles that you're currently experiencing? Some of you have walked into this place this morning carrying various baggage of trials. But if Jesus has the authority to deliver the man possessed by demons, do you not believe that he has the authority to, to deliver you from your emotional trial? Do you believe that he can deliver you from your depression, from your anxiety? What about your relational trials? Do you believe that Jesus can heal your broken marriage? What about your financial trials? Do you believe that he will provide for you as your shepherd? You may be living from paycheck to paycheck and you're afraid to, to give an offering to the Lord, but do you believe that he will come through for you if you put him first? Don't miss... It's, encounter Jesus this morning. Do you believe that? Don't miss where their, their choice to run from Jesus leads them, by the way. Running from Jesus ultimately led them to their destruction. So how many of you are running from Jesus and where has that gotten you? You might not be physically destroyed, but because you've been running from Jesus, your marriage is being destroyed. Because you've been running from Jesus, your finances are out of whack and you find yourself living in debt. Because you've been running from Jesus, you're experiencing financial destruction. And all of this because you're running from Jesus. In your pride, you refuse to die to yourself and submit to his loving rule and reign. Are you running from Jesus this morning? If you are, how's that working out for you? Are you running from Jesus? So the second question we need to ask is, you may not be running from Jesus. You may be pushing Jesus away. In verses 14 through 17, it says that the herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country. And the people came, right? And, uh, and uh, all that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to, to depart from their region. Now, don't miss how Mark describes the response of the herdsmen and the countrymen to what they just witnessed, to all the report that they've heard about Jesus Christ. Jesus displays and he demonstrates the power of the kingdom of God, and they're afraid. It says that they're afraid. Sounds good, right? 
Doesn't the scripture say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? If they were reverently fearing the Lord, yes, it would be good to be afraid of the Lord. But is that the kind of fear that they're displaying right now? Notice that Mark adds to the detail in verse 16 that the people were told what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And to the pigs. The pigs were their form of livelihood, their source of income. And they were afraid if this is what happens when the kingdom of, if, if this is what the kingdom of God is all about, that it threatens our way of life, then we don't want anything to do with it. Their perspective in response to uh, Jesus uh, was this. If the kingdom of God is going to interrupt my comfort, then I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Therefore, they chose to push Jesus away. They were more fearful and concerned about the disruption that the kingdom of God would bring upon their little kingdom as opposed to being in awe of the transformation that the kingdom of God brings with it. Notice that in verse 15, the once demon-possessed man was clothed in his right mind. He was once clothed with chains and now he's clothed physically. But more than that, he's clothed with the peace that comes from experiencing the, de- the delivering power of the kingdom of God. In their rejection of Jesus and the kingdom of God, they're the ones that prove to also be in spiritual bondage by refusing to come to Jesus. Instead, they push Jesus away because they don't want their lives interrupted. How many of you this morning are pushing Jesus away? How many times has the Holy Spirit been convicting and been drawing near to you by graciously convicting you of some sin that he wants to root out of your life, but you're unwilling. You're still holding on to that sin. How many of you are struggling with pride, lust, anger, gluttony, gossiping, lying, or control? You know that Jesus has been convicting your heart of these things, but you refuse to embrace his loving approach to you, and you continue to push him away. You don't want to let go of that sin that you're coddling. You continue to cherish it. And because you desire that more than Jesus, thinking that it'll bring you more joy, you push him away. What sin is Jesus trying to root out of your life that's stifling and hindering your walk with him? That's, that's stunting your growth as a disciple of Jesus. Are you pushing Jesus away? But some of you may not be running or pushing him away. Some of you may be running to Jesus. It says in verses 18 through 20 that as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Such a stark difference with how this once demon-possessed man responds to Jesus. The, The demons encountered Jesus. The herdsmen encountered Jesus. But this man experienced Jesus. Notice that in verse 18 that this man begged Jesus that he might be with him. Interestingly enough, that same Greek word is used of the demons and the herdsmen. Look, in verse 10 it says, And he, the legion of demons, 
begged him, same word, begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And then in verse 17 it says, and they began to beg Jesus, same word, to depart from their region. You ever run into people that just love to be with Jesus and serve him? Why is this man so different and so passionate uh, uh, with, uh, when it comes to uh, his approach to the Lord? Why is he running to Jesus and so on fire and passionate for Jesus? The difference between this man and the, de- the demons and the herdsmen is that he had more than mere intellectual knowledge of who Jesus was. He knows where he came from and what Jesus did for him. He went from broken, abandoned, shunned, hated, abused, ashamed, miserable, alone, to being loved, accepted, healed, forgiven, peaceful, restored. This man had more than head knowledge of who Jesus was. He had heart knowledge of who Jesus was. He was enslaved. He couldn't save himself. Neither could anyone else save him. But there was one whom he encountered through whom all things are possible, though it seemed impossible to everyone else. He was a lost cause in the eyes of the world. But Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, and he experienced that firsthand. Jesus wasn't just information that he learned about in a Bible study or in a sermon on Sunday. Jesus was someone that gripped him and changed him. This is so relevant for for you here at SVC as I think about your 90 days with Jesus. I hope and pray that as you read through the Gospels, that it becomes more than just reading words about Jesus, but that you actually experience Jesus in your time with him, speaking through this book. Not just knowledge, not just information, but that you encounter the living Christ. Look at the cross. When you think about the cross, the cross is empty. He's not dead. He's alive. He's living. And he doesn't want you to just know about him. He wants you to experience him with all of your being. He wants you to worship him and know and taste and see that the Lord is good. He is your shepherd. Do you know that, church? Do you know that? Have you experienced a genuine relationship with Jesus yet? Do you know Jesus or do you merely know about him? Maybe one of the reasons why some of us haven't experienced Jesus in an intimate way is because we're still trying to save ourselves. This man experienced salvation and deliverance outside of himself. He needed a better Savior than himself. He needed a better Savior than anyone else. He needed a better Savior and he found that in Jesus. If that's not you and you're still trying to save yourself, friend, I implore you, abandon all hope in yourself and run to Christ. There's power available. There's hope and healing available. There's resurrection power available. There's forgiveness available. Forgiveness for sins available for you right now. Not tomorrow, but right now if you come to Christ. And it comes by simply repenting of your sins and believing on Jesus. So church... SVC and EC3, are you, where are you at this morning? Are you running from Jesus? Are you pushing Jesus away or are you running to Jesus? If you're running to Jesus or have been running to him, then praise God. And by God's grace, I pray that you would continue to do so. But if you've been running from Jesus 
and pushing him away, then I leave you with the words of Christ where he said, come to me. Come to me. Do you hear the invitation of that shepherd, of the chief of shepherds? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know your hearts this morning. But you know your hearts, and God knows your heart better than anybody else. Whatever reason it is that you're running from Jesus or pushing him away, it could be lust, anger, depression, fear, hate, disappointment, comfort, pleasure, laziness. Whatever it is, Jesus is calling you to come to him and lay it all down at his feet. Stop running. Stop pushing Jesus away because he invites you to run to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word. We thank you for your son, that he's not a hard taskmaster, but he's a loving shepherd that invites us to himself. Oh God, I pray that what was preached here this morning would not be uh, stolen from the enemy and that we would not be so forgetful as... uh, As we see in Scripture, your people so often are forgetful, Lord. I pray that we would think about these things and that we would walk away from this place meditating upon the the glorious shepherd that we serve, that he invites us to stop running away from him, to stop pushing him away, that we might find rest for our souls. God, may we find him to be sweet. Lord, we thank you for being so good. We thank you that when we're faithless, you remain faithful. God, it's not about us and and our holding on to you. Father, may we find great rest knowing that you're holding on to us. May that encourage our souls this morning. Fix our eyes upon Christ that we may find peace for our weary souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.